All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice of America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, our sponsors for the second hour today are Blue Gold Waters Technologies, uh, Prophecy Platinum, Belmoral Resources Limited, uh, Golden Arrow Resources, and SGX Resources. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me once again Daniel McAdams. And uh, Daniel, uh, it's not Daniel Adams, as I said at the last segment, but it's Daniel McAdams. I know that, but in my haste to get the segment closed so we could get our sponsors in, uh, I had to, uh, well, anyway enough making excuses. It's Daniel McAdams. Uh, he is currently the executive director of Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. That's a new organization, a website that you must go to. Uh, it is simply ronpaulinstitute.org. Uh, and it is uh, it is a must view if you care about what's going on outside of the United States and if you care about what's going on inside the United States because it is really true that uh, that somebody has said and has observed that when countries make war their primary activity it isn't long before those same activities come back against their very uh, against their uh, their own citizens and so. It's it's very important, and uh, I think Americans too often don't care much about what's going overseas. We just think that we have a right to go everywhere and change governments and do all kinds of things. But anyway, Daniel McAdams uh, provides a view uh, working on the Ron, with Ron Paul and has been working with Ron Paul for a number of years. Uh, in fact, uh, from um, uh, from 1993 to 19. 19- 99. Oh, no, that's when he worked as a journalist in Budapest, Hungary. But he worked with Ron Paul a number of years until Ron uh, left the, uh, the House of Representatives last year. Welcome, Daniel. Really good to have you with me again. Thanks, Jay. It's great to talk to you. We do want to have you on a regular basis. I've said that because I want to have you at least for a, a short segment every week because there's always a lot of very important stuff at the ronpaulinstitute.org. And one of the things that caught my eye when I went there this morning uh, is the announcement that Ron Paul is going to be starting his own television channel. When is that happening and can give our listeners a little bit of an idea as to what is that, uh, what's Ron going to be doing with that? Sure, actually, uh, the premiere episode was last night, so they've oh. already launched. It's uh, ronpaulchannel.com, and it's really something revolutionary. As you know, Jay, a lot of people are, are turning off their TVs. They're sick of broadcast uh, news, which is boring and superficial. Uh, they're sick of these uh, garbage TV shows. And so more and more people are watching, getting their news and things on the Internet. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, Dr. Paul decided to start his own network where he can discuss all of the issues that are, that are of interest to him um, in a format that's comfortable for him. And uh, it's all available there on the, on the Internet. Uh, there, you know, for, there's a nominal subscription fee, but it's, for what you get, it's just tremendous. And I was, uh, I was one of the first subscribers myself. So, uh, but it was, a, it was a terrific show last night. He interviewed uh, Glenn Greenwald. Uh, oh. And that was, uh, really provided some fascinating insights. Uh, he covered the news. And it was, uh, wow, it's, it's, it's uh, a lot of stuff in that half-an-hour show. Where do we go to, what is the website that we go to to listen to this, to watch sure, this? Yeah, it's ronpaulchannel.com. And, uh, okay. you know, as I said, you, you, you sign up, you subscribe to it. It's a monthly subscription, and it allows you all the access to the, to the shows that he's doing. And it's just really neat. I mean, it's, I, I did a little blog on Lou Rockwell's blog today about it because I was so enthused, you know. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's just classic classic Ron Paul, you know, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's just, it's great to see him out there doing something like this. And he really, you know, Jay, he looks like he was made to do this. You know, it's just a oh. natural, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's really great. Uh, ronpaulchannel.com, what is the subscription fee? I believe it's nine ninety five a month. So, okay. And they can just know, automatically hit your credit card every month if you want yeah, them to? Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's like a couple Happy Meals or, you know, a six-pack of yeah. beer. So it's, <laughs> it, when you put especially with our devalued dollar, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite a bargain. Yeah, I well, think I'm, so. I, I'm sure there's lots of people who won't see it as a bargain. They'll probably even look at it as if it's, uh, um, as if it's treasonous. But uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, to actually, you know, you know, you know, as I wrote in this blog today, people think that, you know, a television studio just comes out of thin air, you know. I mean, for people who are pro-capitalism and pro-free markets, you know, there are people who put out a lot of money to get this thing started, and it takes sure. a lot of effort. Sure. And, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, this, you know, we have, our society is permeated by the socialist mentality that, you know, I want it, give me it, you know. And yeah. um, the reality is, Hey, it's for me because I hate commercials. It's worth it's worth the money to not have to sit and listen to uh, to certain kinds of commercials, you know. So yeah. it's um, commercial free well, is terrific. Well, don't say that about our uh, about our mining company sponsors, though. Please. Oh, not at all. I'm talking about things on <laughs> I'm talking about things on TV where I have to grab my kids' ears and and and, sh- and shut their ears so they don't hear these horrible things that. That come up. I'd rather have my kids listen to commercials from mining companies. Okay, fair enough. In my old age, fair enough. But but you know, uh, commercials. I I get the point, and I uh, I agree with you. Well, I'm going to have to uh, definitely sign up. I haven't done so yet, and I've got to do that. I wasn't aware that it had actually started already. And and Glenn Greenwald. Wow, that is fantastic. So definitely, uh, really looking forward to that. Well, the U.S. Uh, has really been involved, and Ron wrote a piece uh, on the site. Now, why are we at war in Yemen? Uh, yeah. it, what is the reason? Uh, you know, I don't think most of all, I don't think I did, wasn't even aware we were at war in Yemen, except, except that I know that we have, uh, we you know, we have all kinds of activities in over a hundred countries in which we're fooling around with our CIA or our NSA or whatever to try to to try to change regimes and to plant attitudes in the minds of the local people. Uh, but but we're at war in Yemen. Could you talk about Ron's article? What's he talking about there? Sure. Yeah. Well, as he wrote, you know, this is the most significant escalation of U.S. drone strikes in Yemen since 2002. So it's been a good decade. 
we've launched, I think, uh, I think he wrote something like nine strikes over the past couple of weeks, killed several dozen people, and uh, apparently from the reports, uh, only, only one of those killed was on any sort of high-value terror list. So you wow. can imagine all, what kinds of collateral damage you would have there. And I was just reading a piece actually in the, in the uh, Washington Post earlier today, and what they've done over there as well is they've lowered the threshold for who they can just simply uh, shoot with a missile. You know, it used to be a high-value target. It used to be uh, someone who has some operational command position within the called al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, which is centered in Yemen. But now they've basically lowered it and, and, uh, and I guess, dumbed it down, for lack of a better term, uh, where they're, they're basically taking out people like drivers and, and uh, you know, anyone associated with it. So, and, and the other thing, Jay, as you know, these drones, they don't shoot a little bullet and, and take someone out. They shoot a missile. Yeah. So if you are someone who is on the list and so you're driving down to the store with your kids, your wife, uh, you're going to a wedding, you're going to a family dinner, and they target you, you're, you're, they take out your whole family. And so as Dr. Paul wrote on in, in his piece this week, imagine what kind of a recruiting tool this is for the al-Qaeda in, oh, sure. uh, in Yemen. Uh, you know, someone who loses their entire family in a strike that, uh, uh, no, oops, you know, sorry, actually not even sorry. No. But um, he quoted a, an interesting uh, professor who claimed that a lot of these strikes, uh, you know, people feel an obligation because if someone, whether or not they're in al-Qaeda, but if someone is in that clan, which is important in their culture, uh, if that person is hit, then you have a moral obligation to take up that person's defense. So uh-huh. even just in the ham-fisted way we're doing it, it's almost like we want to create more of these, uh, of these extremists down there. So it's, it really is an escalating mess. Yeah, you know, it reminds me, Daniel, of a movie that I saw just recently. I think I talked to you about it called Dirty Wars, uh, yeah. a film producer in, um, uh, in, from Brooklyn, actually, and he and his colleague uh, literally risked their lives many, many times uh, to find out what was really going on, uh, and this was in Afghanistan, I believe, uh, and they and they followed the um, you know the the death of the cleric uh, that was the uh, the American citizen that was uh, that was killed with a drone attack, and um, you know pointed out that it before the Iraqi war he was actually pro U.S. This cleric was he was uh, favorably disposed towards our involvement. But when we got into uh, into Iraq, that that really turned him. And then he made the point that we are exactly the point that the professor that you're talking about. I think you're talking about Gregory Johnson of Princeton University. Yes, exactly. Uh, that that in fact that what we're doing is we are stimulating hatred. And this, of course, is exactly what Ron Paul said when he said the reason they're over here is because we're over there. I mean, yes. doesn't it stand to reason? Why can't Americans understand that, Daniel? Why are we so stupid? I mean, it's, it's, it's simple, and as we talked about last time, I think, Jay, is it so difficult to simply put ourselves in the shoes of, of people overseas? You know, right. these, are, these are human creatures like we are, and how would we feel if, if some of our loved ones were so, were, were so unfairly targeted for death? Devastated. Devastated. Yeah. To the, those people are devastated by it. It's just, it's, it's, and, and how did we as a nation, uh, given the, 
you know, the, uh, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution that we have, and the Bill of Rights, uh, all the things that we supposedly believed in, how did we come to this? Yes, exactly. And, you know, even if you don't, as you and I, we, we, feel, a mor- we feel the moral decay of, of a country, of a society that accepts this kind of thing, but even setting that aside, and this is what Dr. Paul has often said, just look at it as a hard-nosed security issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we are creating people who will do their darndest to find a way to come and hurt us. And that's just stupid. It doesn't right. make any sense. Right. Right. I mean, would you go into, um, you know, into some mafia stronghold and, and you know, say, gitsy, gitsy, goo to the Don? And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it, you know, it's just, I don't know. So I, I ask you, uh, why do you think we're doing this? Who's behind this? And it's, it's, it's the insanity of our policy, too, because in Yemen, we're bombing the so-called al-Qaeda. Um, not that far away, up in Syria, we're trying to send them weapons. We've been supporting them since at least July of 2012, when Ambassador Robert Ford went up to, went up to Hama and met with the, uh, with the rebels at the early stages of the rebellion and gave his full support to people that were trying to overthrow the government that he was in, you know, representing the U.S. to, uh, you know, this is just a couple of, you know, miles away that the U.S. is doing this, and the rest of the world doesn't notice, you know, it's just, I just put a a, a new uh, post on the the blog uh, at the Ron Paul Institute, and, you know, apparently these uh, wonderful free Syrian army uh, have just uh, destroyed another Christian church in the Aleppo district. You know, and this and this makes just an, a number of them and uh, Christian priests who uh, have been um, slaughtered there, and uh, certainly anyone who's who's any innocent, especially who's killed, you know, we, we obviously feel terrible for. But you know, look at how many so-called Christians in the U.S. are pushing this this war. Well, this uh, is what and, I can't figure out, and I'm going to do some digging on this and get some people on this show uh, that that you know that will uh, that will really point out, I think, Daniel, that. That I don't know how how this is consistent with Christian theology. This notion of I mean, uh, if Jesus is the leader of the Christian, you know, if Jesus, if if if, it's, if Jesus was the founder basically of the of the church, uh, then how is it? Would Jesus, if he were alive today, get in in a you know, would he sit behind a computer somewhere and and direct a drone to kill to kill people like this? It's hardly the message of Christian of Christianity. Yeah, Forget about throwing the money changers from the temple. He would just push a button and, and hit them with a drone. <laughs> yeah. Well, he might, you know, those money changers might be some people that are very close to home here, Daniel. I don't know. I, I mean, the but money changers right, that he might Jay. go after, they might, they might be, it might be Ben Bernanke or the people that are behind Ben. I don't know who they would be. Exactly. The money changers would probably not be those guys with turbans walking around in some <laughs> desert somewhere. That's exactly. my feeling anyway. But, but yeah. it, whatever the case is, we we can't know the mind of God, but I would just say it isn't consistent with Christian theology, at least the one that I was brought up. And yet you make a good point. So many of the people, the Christian right, are the ones that are so supportive of all this. And we have to go to our friends, our ideological opposites in some cases. I'm talking for myself. Uh, you know, on the left, Dennis Kucinich, for example, yes. that seems to understand uh, and a more compassionate uh, attitude and value for human life than our Christian, right-wing Christians have. It's just, uh, to me, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't it's, get it. It's very depressing, you know, but it's throughout history that the game has always been to dehumanize the enemy. Um, you know, uh, 
it's it's happened throughout history and once that enemy is no longer human uh then you know you feel that you have almost a moral justification or moral uh compulsion to kill the person so it's it's unfortunately nothing new you know, Daniel, the complacency and the lack of concern about that uh, is, is very troubling to me, the fact that, that most people don't seem to care much. In the opening monologue today, I read uh, a, uh, an account from uh, Peikoff's book uh, on uh, ominous parallels about how the Nazis uh, put Jews to death at Auschwitz and how they had uh, gardens, beautiful gardens and, uh, and, and beautiful waltz music and, and pretty girls uh, dancing and things like that on top of these ovens and how they really made everything look as if it was just really honky-dory and they weren't doing anything that was, uh, that was evil or, or, or distasteful. And I think probably if they had done so, uh, you know, the, the German people would have been outraged because it was a very advanced society. You know, it wasn't like a, 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 a third world, uh, uneducated uh, society, right? Sure, and these, and these people were their neighbors, too. They were people that they had known and done business with over the years. And, but this process of dehumanization and government propaganda uh, telling the people that they weren't human and they were responsible for all their misery, it does sound kind of familiar, doesn't it? It does, and you know, I am, I'm going to read this at the last uh, segment of today's show, but this was a, uh, from a Lutheran pastor uh, who, uh, who analyzed what was going on and what had happened in Germany, and I'm sure you must have heard this already. Uh, pastor uh, Neil Mueller, Mueller, I can't pronounce the name, uh, uh, he says, first they came for the communist, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the socialist, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Catholic. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Exactly. And it seems to me that, uh, I mean, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm stretching it a little bit. I had a, a reader that was, a listener that was very angry with me for making a comparison between, uh, you know, what went on in Nazi Germany and, and what's going on here now. And I concede the fact uh, that perhaps what's going on now is more like what took place prior to, uh, to Hitler, uh, but that we are setting, putting laws in place uh, you know, it's said that Hitler didn't do anything that was illegal. We're setting laws in place through the Patriot Act and others that really give the right to spy and to coerce and to blackmail and to and to keep people from an, having an honest discussion. Are we not here in the United States? Sure, exactly. And it's it's always kind of a loaded term when you use you know when you make comparisons to the Nazis. Sure, because that was kind of a singular horrific episode, but. If you look in general at all totalitarian states, which would include them, and would include, you know, the states under the control of the Bolshevists, um, you, you would have to see some parallels, you're right. But what's even more troubling is the technology that's available to this government now is something that the Stasi and the KGB and the SS and the Gestapo could not have even dreamed of. Right. <clears throat> So it makes our guys much more dangerous. And, and also, 
can uh, make it more sterile in a way, I suppose, right? You don't have to just go in and beat the hell out of people. You can just tap their phones and if they or tap, listen to everything they do. And then if they start to say and object to what the government is doing, let's say waging wars overseas, you can just start to use whatever you have against them as a way to try to control them. Exactly. And as, as we said uh, a few times ago, what you have, what you develop at that point is a self-censorship. So you don't have to uh, threaten people any longer because they know that there really is no safe place to express their innermost thoughts. And so yeah. they'll suppress those thoughts. And that's where you have a, a truly um, psychotic society. It's very yeah. dangerous. Yeah. You know, when I get on the subways in New York, uh, I, every time you hear this loudspeaker come on and say, it says, if you, say, if you see something, say something. And that sounds innocent enough. You know, let's say somebody leaves a bag and runs out the door and kaboom, you know. Yeah. I'm okay. I, fair enough. I mean, if I saw something like that, I... I think it makes sense to say something. But at the same time, it sort of doesn't sit well with me. The notion that we're being asked to snitch on each other, perhaps, is this the start of that, potentially? Yeah, and it's also an insult to our normal moral compulsions. You know, we would feel morally compelled if we saw an old lady get hit to say something. Uh, right. You know, and it's, it, it, it really sort of thumbs down and takes away what should be a natural reaction to something that is uh, illegal or unjust or dangerous or what have you. So there again, the state takes over that, that part of our, of our normal uh, <clears throat> interaction with each other, just as it has taken over charity to a large degree, you know, with the welfare state yeah. and how it discourages individuals from, from contributing to charity because they feel like, you know, hey, the state's got it covered. Why should I bother? Yeah. You know, in Ron's article uh, talking about Yemen, he uh, he says there's an alternative. is called non-interventionism. We should try it. You know, maybe we would. Maybe the best defense would be to stop off. Uh, you know, take away our offense instead of uh, instead of uh, you know stirring the hornet's nest with a stick. Uh, in all these different countries, just back out. Exactly. Uh, but of course, neither Republican or Democratic administration, at least anything that we can see or anything that's allowed to be elected and occu occupy the office of the White House, would, would ever propose that, right? And why not? We have this megalomaniac idea that the U.S. has to control the rest of the world. We know what's best for the rest of the world, and we're going to tell them how to do it. And this, when I say we, I, I, that's not really fair. It's, it really is kind of the neocons who feel this yeah. way. And they're on the left and they're on the right. You know, they can be called Samantha Power. They can be called Charles Krauthammer or John McCain. So uh, they don't fall in, in terms of left and right. Mm -hmm. But they do believe that they can remake the world. And as Dr. Paul said in his column, let's just have a you know, cold, sober look at the fruits of their prescriptions. Is there any stability in the Middle East after they've gotten their way with, uh, with Iraq? Uh, they're getting their way with Syria. They got their way in Libya and Egypt. Is, is the place any better off? Can they point to a single success? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and who's going on holiday in Egypt this year? Not many of us. No, indeed. For sure. For sure not. Um, you know, um, one of the things, and you know, one of the, one of the questions I have in my own mind, Daniel, is, as a strong supporter of Ron Paul, uh, given the fact that we have actually uh, you know, become an empire, we're no longer a republic, we've stuck our nose in, we've stuck our military into countries, and we've used our CIA and our spies uh, to turn governments against their leaders and all that stuff. We've done that 
time and time again, uh, going all the way back to Motsi Da in 1952 or whatever it was back at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, okay, so we're there. We're an empire. We've, we've put ourselves in. Now, what happens if we, if we pull out uh, suddenly, as Ron Paul would like to do, would there not be a vacuum, and would that not then be filled by some of the countries that are our adversaries, or at least we've made our adversaries, like China and Russia, perhaps, by being so aggressive? Would, would there not be something to fear about that sort of a collapse or implosion if we did pull out and, and start behaving ourselves? Well, we have, we'd have to define our terms, because who is the we? If the we is the military, then the assumption is that it's the military that protects and promotes U.S. business overseas, uh-huh. whereas we would probably argue that it inhibits uh, the conduct of, of commerce overseas. Uh, you know, the, the military enforces embargoes and enforces sanctions. Um, so if perhaps you could turn it around and say if the military... Uh, would pull out of these areas and stop prohibiting Americans from doing business in one way or other, maybe American business would move into the vacuum and uh, and start competing. And if Chinese or other business uh, was competing on the same terms, uh, then then that should certainly be welcomed. I would I would say. I would. I'm wondering if uh, the word competition and competing isn't what uh, this is all about. In fact, to keep competition out and. Uh, you know, if you happen to be in good with the government, if you're a large corporate interest, I mean, that's after all what fascism is all about. Economic fascism is about governments and uh, and corporations in bed together, right? So it, sure, it works out pretty say, well you know, for for certain interests. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the military doesn't, you know, protect uh, my business or your business or or probably those of your good advertisers. You know, they are protecting no. overseas. Uh, the people who are really in bed with government. It's a revolving door of people that go in and out of government and, and, and corporate world, and they're well-connected, and so they get their own military to protect their investments and interests, and the rest of us pay the bill. You know, uh, another article that appeared on the blog uh, on the website, uh, the Ron Paul Institute website, uh, talked about uh, the title of it was Twisted Arms and Talking Points Behind the Iran Sanctions Bill. Debate. This was posted last Friday. Uh, it has to do with uh, House Bill HR 850 that is called the Iran Nuclear Prevention Act of 2013. What is this bill about? Is it trying to? What is, what is it trying to do? I know there are some moves afoot to try to keep to seal off Iran to keep it from having uh, an ability to trade with other countries that might be friendly to it, like China, like Brazil, like other countries. What does is that a provision in this bill to try to further? Uh, choke Iran? Sure. Well, the most important thing I think about this bill is the timing. That It was passed on the floor of the House just days before the uh, inauguration of the new president, um, Rouhani, who was, who was considered somewhat of a moderate, who has chosen as his cabinet several people with advanced degrees from major U.S. US universities, who ran on a um, platform of uh, ending the isolation of Iran, uh, opening up to the U.S., and uh, so clearly this is a this is a leader who who would like to make a deal. He is more sophisticated in many ways than his predecessor, and so the neocons and the people who can't stand uh, the possibility of a moderate getting into power in Iran, uh, they staged this vote on the eve of his inauguration. Uh. And uh, what it does, you know, the, uh, the the Chinese and a few others have had some exemptions and be able to purchase some 
some oil from Iran, and this will severely restrict their ability to do that. Uh, and, you know, there are a few other things. It's, you know, this endless round of tightening of sanctions. Um, but I think what's most uh, significant about it is the timing and the fact that the neocons can't fathom the possibility that relations could could improve. They're bent uh. on war, and that's all they war or capit- total capitulation on the part of the Iranian government, which neither oh. you know, which is not going to happen. Well, it seems to me when you set up um, when you try to choke off and keep countries from being free to trade, that basically that is an act of war on our part. Sure, and, and, and what it does is it hurts, certainly it hurts American capitalists, it hurts American business. Uh, Iran has the world's second largest uh, deposit of natural gas. Uh, we can't take advantage of that because our government tells us we can't. Uh, yeah. But it also hurts uh, Iranian private business, the private sector in Iran, which is uh, significant. Uh, they're the ones that are hurt the most. Uh, they're the ones that can't do business. So ironically, it forces more government control over the economy, more socialism in Iran. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just ironic to see that. Uh, you know, it just doesn't have any positive effect at all. Daniel, on that same article, you mentioned, uh, uh, you, you say the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you named some names in terms of congressmen. Who are some of the good guys uh, on this H.R. 850? Sure, well, I... I wanted to, to introduce that feature into our, our look at Congress because a lot of times some of these debates will go on for, um, for a long time. And, you know, as you know, members of Congress can talk and talk. Uh, so we're basically going through this so, so the rest of the readers don't have to and pulling out quotes that are what we think are the essence of the debate. And the good are the people who've warned about the foolishness of these kinds of sanctions. Um, uh, Jim McDermott, he's a liberal Democrat from Washington. Uh, he made a great uh, point that, uh, you know, we've, we've been through this movie before. Uh, we've done sanctions before. And, uh, no, they did not, uh, it did not uh, uh, lead to any kind of change. It led to war, and so are these. Uh, and, and I call the bad the people who, who just uh, argue the wrong arguments, who are for war, and therefore sanctions, people like Eric Cantor and Elliot Engel and, uh, and Ed Royce. And uh, the ugly, <clears throat> I think, is a special category for people who just say nasty things, you know, who just say outrageous things. And I have on the top of that list uh, Ted Poe from Texas, um, who if you've ever heard him speak on the floor, he has his own unique style. Uh, but he said, um, this new so-called president of Iran is no different than Ahmadinejad. He's no moderate, he's just slick. <laughs> oh yeah, it's just uh, well, it's it's this kind of vulgar language. Well, it's just obviously these guys don't want a pe- They don't want peace, and they have another agenda. And I think it's probably a, a military-industrial comp- uh, complex issue. It's a it's a corporate a fascist issue, is in my view. That's the way I see it, anyway. What about Peter King? I mean, that, this guy to me is ugly as sin. <laughs> he does have he does he does reflexively support military action overseas. And, you know, increased surveillance of Americans at home, uh, and, uh, and socialism. So he really is the worst, you know, the worst of all. He's not a free marketer in any stretch of the imagination. Um, he has a history of supporting terrorists, uh, in the IRA. Uh, he's, he's just all around, a, uh, just a, you know, classic kind of evil neocon. statist. He is certainly a neocon. He, you would classify him as such, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, I think I think so. I I think so. You know, he's he's just reflexively bad. He in a way he kind of reminds me of of the late Tom Lantos, who was he was always for war uh, abroad and always for socialism at home. You know, just the worst of all, the worst of all worlds. Daniel, I'm wondering if you could come back. We need to go to a break, but I have a couple more things I'd like to ask you about. Could you come back for ten minutes or so on the other okay. side? Sure. Okay. Okay. Great. Let's uh, let's take a break now. And when we come back, I want to ask ask Donald. Um, geez, I'll get it. I'll get it right here. We got. Uh, <laughs> it's not old McDonald, is it? <laughs> We're going to be right back, and uh, I want to ask uh, about some other issues, uh, such as uh, Egypt, which is uh, here hot. Syria, of course. Uh, and some very interesting things about a couple of neocons, if we have time. Uh, very interesting things on the site. Don't go away. We'll be, we'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I'm really pleased to have uh, Daniel McAdams uh, of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity back with me. There was a couple more topics that I wanted to to cover with Daniel. We want to have Daniel back at least for short segments, uh, almost every week, if not every week, because there's so much new stuff that goes up every uh, every day. Actually, there's new things that go up at the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Uh, it's um, again, it's uh, Ron Paul Institute. Is that what it is? dot org Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and and so I would urge you folks to go there. It's free. There's lots of great things. Daniel writes there. Ron Paul writes there. There's lots of uh, lots of uh, of academics and other people that are associated with uh, with the institute. So um, it's it's really I find it a a refreshing view of the world. Something very contrary to what you're going to get on the mainstream media. But uh, for that, we're very thankful to. Uh, 
uh, uh, for Daniel to be with us. Daniel, Thank when you. we went to break, you know, I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I believe you've written about it, uh, certainly stuff on the website about uh, Egypt and what's going on there now. You know, I'd like to go back and, you know, we, what was it, two years ago we had the Arab Spring? Yes, it was well, February of 2011, I believe right. it was. Right, and what you had there were you had a lot of rising commodity prices. You had people that were getting, really having a very difficult time making ends meet. Inflation, uh, as I think it was one of the communist dictators understood very well, that that's the way you can really destabilize a capitalist society is to inflate the hell out of it. And so we started inflating, and we started having people, the uprisings, people getting very angry. But one of the things that really seems strange to me, Daniel... Is I, I guess there could be things that were really common among all those North African countries, that is, food prices and so forth. So there could be a reason. But that all of them, that you had this uprising of all these different countries basically at the same time. What do you make of that? Yeah, it is interesting. And, you know, it's, you look at the different, the, the different antecedents, and there was a move in the mid-2000s. I've talked about it, you know, quite a few times, there was a move to bring in young people from Egypt, uh, from, uh, uh, from Tunisia, and from elsewhere in the region, to bring them to the U.S., young liberals, to give them some training in, um, in communications, in democracy promotion, in regime change. Uh, in Egypt, these two groups were the April 6th movement and the Kafaya movement. And these were really the, um, the agitators behind the initial protests mm-hmm. in Tahrir Square. So these people, uh, it's not to say that, it's not to oversimplify it, because as you very well pointed out, you know, they could not have achieved what they did if there wasn't already a considerable amount of unrest and mm-hmm. disappointment in, in Egypt. Uh, you know, the same was true uh, in the Orange Revolution in Ukraine, uh, which was really a U.S. managed affair, but you did have to have people who were dissatisfied on the ground. You had to have bodies in the street. And so this, to a large degree, is what happened in these places. And over and over, you see relatively secular dictatorships have been overthrown by uh, uh, radical, to, to varying degrees of radical Islamist regimes. You have you have all sorts of radical Islam run amok in Tunisia, which wasn't the case before the so-called Arab Spring. Uh, we've seen certainly strains of it in Egypt, um, you know, a- after after 2011, and you know, recently it was overthrown. Uh, but you you see plenty of that. You see, look at the unrest on Sinai. You have uh, bands of radical uh, Islamists who are lobbing missiles into Israel, and Israel striking back. Yeah, this is pretty dangerous stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but 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 definitely the U.S. was behind a lot of this. They trained a lot of these people, and um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, uh, the Kafaya movement became the Tamrad movement, uh, which overthrew, which helped overthrow Morsi. They're the ones that organized the protests against Morsi uh, just over a month ago. So these are this is a group of. Uh, westernized liberals who the U.S. seems to be able to call up and uh, and, uh, and and give their give them their orders. So what do we do, Daniel? Let, let me get this straight. We we bring these these people in, uh, put them in probably the Harvards, Princetons, and Yales of our country. Uh, connect them very well with some powerful people, and then send them back. Because one of the things that's always sort of struck me was how many leaders in these countries that are friendly to us have been educated in the top universities in the United States. 
Sure, that's true. And they've, they've been educated here. They've been brought over for training. They've been brought over through different NGOs that are, that are all funded by the U.S. government. Uh, and then don't forget the military, and especially look at the Egyptian military. They're brought over here to train in our military academies. So if they're infiltrated that way. So it's just an attempt to ensure control over every aspect of these societies. So you know, so so it's easy. Uh, it's easy, you know, Daniel. We took we took away the constraint in creating money to finance this kind of activity, didn't we? In 1971. Exactly. So now there's exactly an right. endless amount of money for the military, and as I understand it, sometimes I mean, some sometimes these military budgets are not even on on budget, or they're sort of off off budget activities. Yeah. It seems, and and so this endless amount of money that we can use to bribe and coerce, and I mean, it's what John Perkins has talked about on this show about how what we do overseas. You know, we we get these dictators to indebt them, and, and so that we can basically own them. But so it's about controlling these societies, these countries, and you so you can understand. Then so uh, the so we try to implant so-called Western ideas in the minds of people who don't. That's not their values. They don't want to know about it. Well, yeah, and even if they even if they did have some curiosity, they may want to go down their own path toward that goal. And yes. what they certainly don't want, and you and I wouldn't want, is to be told by another country this is exactly how you have to do it. You know, here are the guidelines. And if you elect someone that we don't like, well, we just won't recognize it. You know, yeah. this is what uh, Secretary of State John Kerry said about the military coup. In Egypt, or, you know, last month, he said, um, well, no, that wasn't a coup. They were just restoring democracy. Oh, sure. That's some way to do it, isn't it? What do you do? You just, uh, you, you have, you have a, uh, you overthrow a government that was popularly elected. It sounds, sounds like Allende in Chile. It sounds like uh, Mossadegh in Iran. I mean, yes. it's just a, it's a pattern, isn't it? Exactly. And the other thing, Jay, when it comes back, we were talking earlier about the military assistance to places like Egypt. Um, don't forget that a lot of that comes back to the U.S. in form of corporate welfare. You know, we give the Egyptians a billion dollars and we say, here, you've got to spend, you know, three quarters of it on these American military industrial complex corporations. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's more, it's even, it's even more insidious than that. It props up our own military industrial complex and corporate welfare. Mm-hmm. So the politicians, as soon as they retire, look at all the generals, as soon as they retire, they, they, they gain hugely high-paying jobs in, in these military-industrial uh, complex companies. Yeah. So the, uh, the corporate welfare state. Yes. Yeah. It's, not, uh, it's not welfare for the common folks. It's welfare for the rich and powerful. Exactly. exactly. At the expense of the common folks. And unfortunately, Taxes, the common folks inflates. are propagandized into believing that this is making them safer. Yeah. Uh, and, and the people that are putting this garbage out are laughing all the way to the bank. And not only that, but we are being taught that we our, our young people are being taught that they should give up their lives for the sake of democracy, or or some sort of noble cause. And I guess people still believe it to a great extent, don't they? They 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 do, but it's diminishing, isn't it? I think. And no, I people think so. are becoming more cynim- cynical. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a shame. It is it is a real shame. Well, it's a shame because it's a lie, and uh, you know, ultimately, lies are exposed. Pinocchio's nose gets larger and larger, and finally, can no longer be hidden. Uh, but you know, uh, but so, you know, but I was curious because last evening on on uh, on C-SPAN, I was watching a spokesperson for the Obama administration address some um, some journalist, and she was. I, I I suppose this is for public. Uh, 
consumption to make uh, Obama administration look like a kinder, gentler uh, foreign policy or whatever. But she was making it sound, and there were a lot of critics, uh, Israeli critics and others there that, that were seemingly very hostile towards her uh, her position, which was that we should allow uh, the people that staged that are that are angry about the overthrow to have a voice. Uh, and, and maybe this is just for public consumption. Maybe it's not really what the Obama administration is about. Well, I think they're in a terrible bind, and they're sending all kinds of mixed signals. Look at Obama sent uh, Lindsey Graham and John McCain to Egypt last week, um, and the first thing they did when they got there was contradicted all of the administration's policies. Wow. You know? <laughs> so talk about thanks a lot. You know, what, what, what an amazing, uh, you know, uh, couple of, en- of envoys, you know, the uh, uh, the administration can't use the word coup because if they use the word coup, uh, that means we have to stop giving money to the Egyptian military. Uh, so they're very sensitive about that word. And State Department spokesman said last week was very comical, uh, well, when, when it comes to this issue, we've determined that we don't have to make a determination. So they're pretending yeah. it's not a coup, but as soon as McCain got over there, he said, uh, this is a coup. It was, you know, this was a coup. So right there, you're irritating uh, the military that's in charge. Yeah. And then they went on to um, to say a number of things that irritated uh, the uh, the supporters of Morsi as well. You know, the the deposed president. So they just made an absolute hash of it. The Egyptian part, uh, some some Egyptian politicians, you know, as he was there, said, "Your persona non grata, get out of here." <laughs> uh, and it's just it's just it's an amazingly muddled policy. It's a mess. It's quite a mess. You know, I want to just, with a couple of minutes that we have left here, um, uh, Daniel, uh, would like to ask you, uh, go back a little bit to Greenwald. You say he was on Ron Paul's, uh, he was interviewed by Ron Paul yesterday, right? Yes, exactly. And Glenn Greenwald. And and, uh, what, what is curious to me, and maybe you can sort of help us out here with this, you know, you got the guys like Peter King that's out there calling him a, uh, you know, calling Ed- Edward Snowden a, a traitor, uh, and that he's very dangerous, and that we got, you know, assets in the field, uh, intelligence people that's lives are in danger because of this, because of Edward Snowden. Then we have guys like Glenn Greenwald who's saying, no, that really all that's happening is people are embarrassed by their activities. It's not that America is endangered. So wh- how do you come down on this? I mean, I, know, I think I know how you come down on it, but how do you, what would you say to Peter King when he goes on television, like I saw him yesterday here in, on Long Island, and, goes, <laughs> and talks about how Snowden is really, really endangering our CIA personnel? Well, they want it both ways, too, and people are waking up to the fact that this is a bunch of deception. You know, on one hand, they say that because of the Snowden revelations, we can no longer monitor the terrorists like we used to. He's, he's destroyed our ability to monitor them. And then three, le- three weeks later, they say, oh, we were listening in on a conference call that al-Qaeda had where they were planning some amazing attack. So we've got to close all of our embassies in the area. So which is it? Did he degrade our ability to, to listen in? Or, or, or are they just fooling with us? You know, yeah. they want to have it both ways. Uh, so uh, the irony, too, is, you know, McCain has had a lot of uh, uh, explosions over the Russians' refusal to uh, extradite Snowden back to the U.S. Right. Um, 
and he and he complains that Russia is suppressing people who are exposing government corruption <laughs> in the same breath, and he's demanding that an American who purportedly is exposing American government corruption is not being extradited to the U.S. to be sent to the slammer for the rest of his life. Yeah, it's it's incredibly <laughs> inconsistent and and disingenuous. Uh, well, I guess maybe you can. It would be interesting to know some of these neocons, and I think maybe you've done some work on this. Where their bread, you know, where where are they getting their bread buttered from? You know, how are they? A lot of these guys are getting big campaign contributions and stuff. I give you a lot of times you have to follow the money, whereas Ron Paul would never take money from these kind of guys. Well, you know, here's the good thing to do, Jay. You look at a place uh, called, look at some of these think tanks, um, the the Institute for the Study of War. Uh, uh-huh. These are so-called experts on war and this and that. Just go to their page where they talk, where they show who is giving them money. It's always the big military contractors. It's you know uh, Lockheed Martin and all of these and all of these fabulously wealthy corporations that give money to think tanks to give them this sort of phony academic credentials to then go ahead and, and promote more war. So it's yeah. absolutely insidious. Right. Well, that's, that makes money. That makes a lot of money. And if you wanted to, you could capitalize by buying these defense stocks, I suppose. I can't do it. <laughs> Daniel, we're out of time. Thank you very much for your insights and helping us to understand what's going on in the real world. Also, uh, tell our listeners again, Ron Paul, uh, his television network, uh, his television show is where? Sure, ronpaulchannel.com. RonPaulChannel.com and it's the uh, RonPaulInstitute.org. Ron yes, right. Exactly. Excellent. Thank you very much, Daniel, for being with us again. Look forward to talking to you next week as well. Thanks, Jay. Take care. All the best, folks. Don't go away. I'll be right back with some closing thoughts on today's show, uh, next week's guest, and uh, and a couple of stock picking ideas as well. Don't go away. I'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and Good Times. Well, with the uh, few minutes I have the left, uh, left uh, today, I do have to read uh, the, uh, another scathing criticism of this show by uh, a guy, uh, for me being a gloom and doom guy. Um, and so let me just read what he had to say. He says, I've, I've quit the, doom, the Dooms Club scenario at least over four years now and went back to living and making some money on the market. But I'm surprised to see the old writers of doom and gloom are still earning a living out of scaring the living Jesus out of those that want to be scared to death to begin with. I heard the same old doom and gloom when gold was $200 an ounce and bloody share prices was higher than they are now. Yes, I did lose some money on the mining shares. Then I woke up and realized there is more to the market than gold fever and traded instead of hugging those gold shares and bought the kind of shares that actually rise in value. Sir, you are doing people a favor. You are not doing people a favor when you turn them into doomsday zombies. Remember doomsday 2012? It's come and gone. John the Baptist and many other preachers have told us the end is coming. Now writers like you guys preach the same, except it's a pretty darn good living, isn't it? End of quote. Well, my response to that is no, it's not a good living. I have to tell you that this year and last year, when I've stayed with the views that I have about money and about gold and about the dishonesty of our government, has not been prosperous, has not led to a prosperous existence for me or my business. It's just not been. But I have never been into gold because uh, I wanted to make money in it. I looked, gold is really, uh, gold is real money. It's honest money. When nations debase their currency, their work ethic declines, their morality declines. This is happening in America, and it's evidenced in the decline not only of the living standards of the middle class, but in the totalitarian measures of our government that kill thousands and countless of thousands of people overseas and now spies on you and me. And as Ian Gordon discussed earlier in the show, nothing has been fixed by the endless quantitative easing. Yes, for the time being, we've managed to get through, and people like this, like this listener was able to make money, and now he's laughing. But you know what? I remember people that were laughing back in 2007. I remember people that were laughing in 2002. But I knew, as a student of Austrian economics, that this was not going to last, that we, were going, that we are in big, big trouble. I think Ian Gordon pointed out very well that all of the measures and policies that have been put in place have guaranteed and sealed the fate of our country, that we are heading to something that's much worse than it would have been if they'd have backed away and restored honest money in the past. Well, ultimately, the uh, the rules of nature, the laws of markets will prevail, and we're seeing geopolitically, we see China has now purchased, uh, their, their gold purchases have spiked 54% in the first half of 2013. This is a market that is about to shift, and it could shift very, very violently because there's so much paper money and demands on the physical metal out there that when this thing comes apart... It could, it could rise, gold and silver both could rise with lightning speed. And so we're looking at companies now, I think, that have a great chance of doing extremely well. 
And uh, certainly the companies like Balmoral Resources, Prophecy Platinum, uh, SGX Resources, Golden Arrow Resources, are all those are sponsors of ours that I think all can do very, very well uh, when gold and silver turns around. I think we may have seen the bottom. If we have, then uh, we're going to see some very, very good times. And I suppose the listener that re- sent me that email uh, will not be around to talk about, oh, I'm sorry, uh, you were right, Mr. Taylor. No, because I think he has an agenda, and I think his agenda is really one of uh, hating honest money. He's probably one of those folks that benefit and prosper from what is really uh, an immoral act of fiat money, which is really a license to steal, to take wealth from those who produce it and give it to the people uh, that control the system, Wall Street and Washington primarily. We are out of time. I do need to tell you that next week uh, my guest will be Kathy Fetiki, and we will do something other than gold. She is uh, in real estate, and we'll talk about how you can make some money in real estate and uh, how you can get cash flow into your IRA. We've had Kathy on before. She's excellent. No, gold isn't everything, but I'm saying it is real honest money. Real estate is real. We want to own it. If there's good cash flow coming out of it, why not? I'm going to also have David Gerwitz with me of Charles Nanner Research. Uh, he's going to be here to, to provide the latest views that Charles has with respect to uh, oh, precious metals, stocks, bonds, what have you. Always good to listen to David Gerwitz. And Chen Lin is going to be with me next week, supposedly. He's back from Beijing where he just spent the summer with his family. He's going to have some things to say about what he saw in China. I don't think there's anyone better in uh, really explaining what's going on in China than Chen Lin. I want to thank uh, all of you for listening. I want to thank our sponsors also for making the show economically viable. And I want to thank Tacey Trump and Matt Widener, uh, both of whom made this show logistically uh, possible. That's all for this week. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.